0: I did see a gap in the market at the time. There wasn't many good, but like casual fine dining. So I thought there was a gap in the market for me to do what I wanted to do. So I decided to try and open in uh, London.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Over the last few years, COVID turned the hospitality industry on its head. And for those on working visas embarking on a career in the industry, it was even tougher. But Australia is not alone in this. Today's guest, Alexis Noble of Wander in London, has had her own epic visa journey in the UK to save her restaurant. Alexis, how are you? I'm good, thank you. It's good to get you on the show. We tried to hook up about a year ago and uh, there was lots going on, but I hear you've got some good news now in regards to your visa and heading back to the UK.
0: Yes, I couldn't. Yeah, when you first reached out to me, that was when I um, had only just discovered that I'd like lost my visa and I couldn't really discuss things. And then since then, I've been through a whole bunch of different applications. And yeah, I just got my visa approved a couple of days ago. So yeah, that's why I reached out and can talk now.
1: <laughs> well, you've got the restaurant, uh, which has been around for a while now in, in London. What's it been like in this period of time? Has it been shut this whole time?
0: So yes and no. Like so when it first happened I had to close immediately and I was closed for about a month or yeah, about five weeks, six weeks. And then I applied for a new visa within the UK and I was allowed to reopen again. And then um that visa got denied in January, um January twenty twenty was it yeah and i appealed and so then i was stuck in the country on an appeal and i was open a little but not not as much as possible not as much i wasn't really open like properly but i was open some of that time and then i closed in november um 2022 and came back to Australia to apply for the visa in Australia. So it's tech it is properly closed now, but um, yeah, it's been on and off.
1: What's it been like being back in Australia during that period of time of sort of reapplying? Were you nervous about about losing it and what would happen? Yes, it's been horrible. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> it it has been nice actually because I hadn't I I came home. Um, like March fourteenth, twenty twenty, when every when like it first, when COVID first happened, and it was obvious that like well, restaurants in the UK had to close. We were a bit ahead of Australia, so when we got closed, I came home in about three days, because I didn't want to be stuck in London with a closed restaurant and everything happening. So I came home, and I was home for like two and a half months. And so, I haven't been back to Australia since May 2020. So, it's nice to be home and have a summer, see my family and stuff like that. But yes, it's been extremely stressful because of, um, well, because of COVID and because, well, the Home Office says because of Ukraine, um, the visa that I was applying for had extremely long waiting periods. So, the minimum waiting time was 24 weeks when I was coming back. Um. So, I wasn't meant to be able to go home to at least May 2023. But so, they just recently restarted priority service where you can spend money and get a quicker decision. So, that's actually the only reason I have my visa now.
1: Uh, how does it feel now that you're going to be heading back? Like, has, has your thoughts changed on sort of what you want to do when you land?
0: Um. So, I had been because... Yeah. Whilst I was here, I'd been trying not to think about it too much because I did know there was nothing I could do. It was just going to be 24 weeks and then I'd have to deal with what happened when that happened. Um, so yeah, this has all come out of the blue. Um, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm, I'm Yeah, very excited to be able to go home. I guess I haven't really, I hadn't really made any plans or really thought about it too much, but I did keep the restaurant. Um, at one point, I was very much going to sell and come here permanently. Um, But I changed my mind towards the last few months and decided to keep the restaurant. And it's just been shut. I've been paying rent and everything like that whilst I'm away. Um, So, yeah, it's a relief. But now, yeah, I'll go home and figure out, reopen. But, yeah, I don't, that'll take a bit. I think, yeah, I'm still kind of uh, in shock, actually, to be honest.
1: Well, restaurants have slim margins at the best of times. What's it been like sort of paying rent in a closed restaurant that you may not be able to go back to?
0: Well, that was my choice. So, I I did plan for that. So, um, I always knew. So, this was my plan. So, in the last three months, especially, when I finally – I didn't tell people about me going home until September or September 2022, which was three months. So I had three months left and I told all like made it public that I would be closing and um, had an amazing three months. Like we were so busy. It was incredible. I made a lot of money, which was the plan to make enough money in that quarter to be able to do what this to like be able to not open for, um, Two quarters and pay well, for six months essentially and pay two quarters rent and stuff like that. Uh, so it was always the plan. I, it wasn't, it was like, yeah, just going to take what it, all the money that I had saved. But yeah, that's what I had decided to do. So it wasn't great. I'm lucky my rent is very low. So the space that I had, my rent's quite low. So it could be feasible. And in Sydney, my costs are pretty low. Like I'm lucky I can stay with parents and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so I, I had planned for this for like the year, that's why, I, but this is very nice that I don't, I can't go back and reopen and start making money again. It's very nice.
1: Well, I want to explore the whole story of Wanda and sort of what you do there shortly and what you'll be doing when you get back. But, um, tell us about when you were young, what sort of role did food play in your family?
0: Um, it's always been massive. Um, like I always cooked from like very 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 young um I was very good at school though so I never did hospo it was never even though I liked cooking it was never something that was going to be my career I was always like going to go to university and then but I went to university for like three or four years but um dropped out and got an apprenticeship when I was like 21 22 um but yeah it's always been a massive part of my life
1: Take us through those sort of first years as as an apprentice. What what were the sort of really key venues and people that helped shape your career?
0: Uh, So, I did my apprenticeship in Sydney at Otto. I did two years at Otto. I did my final year at Restaurant Balzac with Kempi. I'm old. Yeah, I'm old. (laughs) So, yeah, um, with Kempi. And then once I finished my apprenticeship, I went to the old Bentley for a little um, uh, yeah, so that's where I did my apprenticeship
1: Well, wow, well there's some cr- pretty incredible and influential restaurants Over the history of Sydney's dining landscape Do you have any stories of what it was like in, in the kitchens of Otto And back then in Balzac?
0: Um Yeah, (laughs) it was really long ago and it was like a completely different kind of time. Like kitchens are so different now. Like we didn't have phones and stuff back then. So it it is very different. Um, Otto was good in that it was like so many covers, you know, you'd be doing 250, 300 a service, um, proper like sections where you just work like you work a section for three months four months like heaps of repetition so when you learn pasta you're doing like six kilos a day or when you're on the like meat and fish you're cooking and prepping like 50 fish a day so um even though that's not the kind of covers or the kind of style I like to do now I think as an apprentice it's really good because you just do volume and really really learn like the amount of oysters you shuck just being on um larder you shuck hundreds of oysters a day. Like that kind of repetition, I think, is really good in his apprentice. Um, and then Balzac, um, Kempi, I actually, Kempi is amazing. Um, that was a super hard but very fun kitchen. And um, yeah, that was, a, I did pastry there because I, I did every section at Otto, but they wouldn't let me go do pastry. They wouldn't let me out of the savory kitchen. So then when I went to Balzac, I specifically wanted to do pastry because it was the last thing that I hadn't really done um so I I learned a tremendous amount there and like especially doing pastry there because everyone there was like x like square and stuff like that it was very like very like proper pastry which has been one of the most like that stuff I've used throughout my career more than anything else the things I learned there like um so yeah Balzac was great
1: the uh, original uh, Bentley uh, in a former pub had a tiny kitchen and uh, and did incredible things and sort of um, opened up gastronomy a bit to a different sort of gastronomy in Sydney. What was it like in that kitchen and working with Brent?
0: Yeah, that was it. Was very very small and very very long hours and yeah, tiny tiny. Like yeah, even the cool room, like we, the way things were stacked up and it was an intense like lots of menus as well um yeah that was cool <laughs> it, it is interesting looking back on that now especially like they were like some of the first people using all the like textures range and stuff like that and having all that equipment that is now like more common use or it's kind of gone away from that now but yeah it. but that was like complete opposite to Balzac if you know what I mean Whereas Balzac was very traditional, then this was very modern at the time. So, yeah.
1: You've done a lot of traveling all over the globe. Do, do you have any sort of stories of, of your travels and the influence it's had on, on your cooking?
0: Um, yeah. can you be more specific. <laughs> what do you mean? Like staging or? Yeah. Because yeah, I've like traveled, just traveling, but then I also staged. So, I went to San Francisco for four months and staged at um, Kwa. And Bennu and then I um also went to New York and did some staging at like Roberta's and Blanca um which was amazing um oh yeah I, I I really enjoy staging um so yeah and but then I've also just traveled and ate and stuff like that
1: tell us about the move to London how did that come about
0: um, so I did my working, I did a working holiday in London when I was younger, well, like in 2013 and I did two years there and at the time, um, I didn't actually really like it. Uh, I did not like London at all. I didn't like the weather. I didn't like the industry. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> it, it, that was kind of where I was working, but, um, yeah, there were not many female chefs, which was weird for me. Because being in Sydney, I never felt different. I was never treated differently, and being a female chef wasn't really a thing. Whereas in London, it's at the time back then, it was much more uh, uncommon, and you did get treated differently, which was a uh, very yeah very weird for me at first. Um, so yeah, I did two years in London but I didn't ever think I would go back I just wanted to use it as a base to travel in Europe and then I did a working holiday in Rome for a year in Italy until like because that was when I was 31 and my working holiday opportunities had all uh I'd aged out of that and then I had always wanted to open a restaurant and I kind of – at towards the end of London, I kind of didn't want to leave Europe and the ability to travel and stuff like that. And I did see a gap in the market at the time back then. There wasn't many, like, good but, like, casual fine dining, which I think Sydney does extremely well, um, and small kind of restaurants that I would want to dine at. It was all just, like, super Michelin and very – I don't know what's the word um, – Yeah, very, like, old-school fine dining with tablecloths and very stiff um, or extremely casual. There wasn't, like, the, yeah, casual fine dining thing. Um, So I thought there was a gap in the market for me to do what I wanted to do, so I decided to try and open in uh, London. Also, I kind of wanted to not have my first restaurant in Sydney Um, I kind of thought in London, I could go under the radar and just figure things out. Yeah. And economically, economically at the time, I thought London was a better choice than Sydney to open a restaurant. I was correct for like two and a half years.
1: Take us back to that sort of finding the site and landing on sort of the offering that you wanted to do. Um, Tell us about that period of time.
0: Um, so, uh, to be able to go to London and open a restaurant, I got an entrepreneur visa. So it's a pretty intense visa. You have to write a full business plan, blah, blah, blah. You have to have money, la 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 blah, blah. So a lot of like the planning for what I wanted to do, I had to do prior to even getting my visa approved. And then, so I sort of, I, pr- I did have an idea of what I wanted it to be. I used to live in, um, Bethnal Green in London. So East London. Um, and I thought I'd wanted to open around that area in Hackney, but more down like shortish Bethnal Green, Dalston kind of area. And But my money was very limited. I only had um, about 100, 110,000 uh, 110 Austra- 110, Australian dollars. So that's like roughly about 52,000 pounds or something, 55,000 pounds. So my money was limited. And in, so in the UK... so this is pre-COVID most restaurants had a premium so you don't just sign a lease you also have to pay a premium and in that you buy the fixtures or what fixtures there are and essentially just like the premises license because there used to be just um, an A3 license is like a restaurant license that you're allowed to have extraction and stuff like that and especially in the borough that I'm in Hackney pre-COVID they weren't they're very strict about the mix of businesses within the area. So there's only so many A3 licences that are there and they weren't really granting new ones. So it's not like in Sydney, which I actually think is a problem in Sydney, where anyone can just open a restaurant in any building. You can just change the premises licence. In London, especially with the restaurant one, they try to, they don't want like a high street that is just restaurant, 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 restaurant. Well, they didn't. That the licensing since changed since COVID and it's a lot freer and easier to do that. But so when I um, was looking for a space, I basically needed an existing restaurant because I didn't have the money to do a full fit out, like from a shell or anything, something small, but like with no premium. premium. And I found on like the second day I got to London after I got my visa and I flew over, I saw a place in Stoke Newington and I went. and which ended up being the place that I took. But actually at first um, the person I called, uh, the agent at the time I rang to inquire about um, told me that the place was leased and that I couldn't go and view it. And then um, I went to go check it out anyway just to see where it was in the street because I actually hadn't been to Stoke Newington <laughs> even though I, it wasn't far away from when i lived. I hadn't actually been up to Stoke Newington so I wanted to walk past. And I did walk past and there's a leasing agent next door who had like a sign up about a A3 premises, $27,000 a year, no premium. So I asked them and they're like, oh yeah, it's next door. I can show you it. I'm like, what are you talking about? I The agent that I spoke to told me it was under offer. They're like, no, we've never had any offer on it. It turns out the landlord was like getting like three um, different, because it'd been abandoned for about a year and a half. The landlord was getting about three different leasing agents to try and um market it and clearly um I have since heard from other friends that um that agent just thought one you can I kind of sound like a cartoon mouse like I sound young and unserious so they were just like yeah no we don't want to show it to her anyway uh so I went and saw it and it was um very run like it was a Thai restaurant that had been abandoned so like Stuff was still in fridges and stuff for like a year and a half. There were lots of issues with the property, but I knew straight away. And uh, about a week later, I put in an offer and my offer got accepted. And then, although in London, it's not like an eight-week settlement where it's like super easy. It took over six months from my initial offer getting accepted to like, because the place had been abandoned as well. So, they had to do a take um, possession notice. They had to change over the land registry. Things in London are like, it takes a long time. And then um, my landlord did try to fuck with me a little. Um, but, it, yeah, it ended up being the offer I put in in June, July 2017 ended up being a £1,000 cheaper, actually. I paid a £1,000 cheaper than what I actually finally signed in November 2017. So, yeah.
1: You mentioned it was a, a bandit and it was a former restaurant and you had a limited budget to sort of do anything to it, but you kind of did everything to it yourself. So, tell us about the-
0: Yeah, but over five years. So, at first I didn't. At first I just did the things I had to do to get open and um, it was not great, but it was fine. I lived in the basement for the first year as well. Uh, So that's how I could afford that. I lived in the basement, (laughs) which you're not technically meant to do, but yeah. Um, So yeah, I lived in the basement. And then uh, as I took money and I slowly reinvested and built things up and renovated and got things done. But yeah, at, at first it was just do what it needed to be done to be able to open. So that's when I first viewed it as well. I could see straight away the bare bones were there and what it would take to be able to open and that I could do it. Like, the, it had extraction, so it had a really big – like, the extraction, which is like, the biggest cost, um, especially because these are all old, like, Victorian buildings that are three stories to, like, put up the extraction all the way up. That would have been my entire budget, basically. So, like, I could see the bare bones there. And then I just got all secondhand fridges – ovens. Uh, yeah. Spent as little as possible. Didn't go crazy. Um, I was good with my budget. So yeah. And then yeah, slowly every month did more, bought more things and yeah.
1: Tell us a little bit about Wanda and and your food and, and the offering that you have there.
0: Um, so in London, they like to say that it's an Australian restaurant, which I do believe it's like I just think it's like a modern Australian restaurant. I personally think it's like a Sydney restaurant specifically. Uh, the menu designed to share. Um, it has evolved over the years. Like Initially, it was just, um, yeah, the menu was designed to share like five or six snacks, larger dishes, a couple of desserts. When I actually announced I was – well, in the past year, because of everything that was happening – I stopped doing that and just did a set menu, like a f- a five or six courses, uh, which bores me as a chef, but it actually really works. It's really good for the head spend. It's good for costs. Yeah, it actually works. So I do need to figure out what I'm going to do when I reopen because that was really effective and it's good for my uh, prep time as well. Like, it's good in many ways other than that I get kind of bored. Like that, um, so I need to figure out what I'm going to do when I go back. Um, lots of Italian influences, lots of Asian influences. Um, try to work with as much local produce as possible. Um, yeah,
1: is it, are there a couple of dishes um, that you had on the menu that sort of speak of the sort of food that you you were doing there?
0: Mm, yeah, I guess it's um. Like I dessert, like I always used to have pavlova, like a proper pavlova. Because so I used to always make I make pasta, so there's always egg whites. So I'd always make a proper pavlova. Um, Also, we have a lot of Australian guests, a lot less since COVID because a lot of our Australian guests obviously went home um, over the years. Um, So I always did pavlova, but then when I went from like a design to share menu to a set menu, I stopped doing like a classic pavlova, like just a slice of pavlova and then turned it into a more plated dessert. Um, But, yeah, there's Australian influences here and there. Uh, Lots of pasta. There's always one pasta. It changes depending on the season and what I feel like doing. But, yeah, I I have been deliberately trying not to think about dishes or menus and stuff like that whilst I've been here because it would just be – yeah, hurting myself for no reason. So, actually, when I go home, I need to start thinking that way again. Yeah.
1: You've uh, experienced the extraordinary produce of Australia and the UK, which is vastly different. What's some of the produce over there that you sort of loved using um, while in your time in the UK?
0: I miss Australian produce, yeah, like very much so. Um, the England is okay. England's okay, yeah. Um, I, there are certain seasonal things that I actually get very excited about, like wild garlic is just coming in. I saw on uh, one of the foraging in things on Insta, I think wild garlic is just coming in. Wild garlic, um, elderflower, they get me very excited just because it means like the winter is ending. It means that summer is coming. And I, I like that seasonal change in England just because – and like summer is super fun. Winter not so much. There's nothing in winter. I do not get excited about Brussels sprouts. Um, but yeah, uh, the beginnings, especially with things like yeah, wild garlic and elderflower. I'm not crazy about asparagus. Everyone go- everyone will start getting about cr- crazy about asparagus in about a month, but it's crazy expensive and it's not that good realistically. But um, yeah, the spring especially is very exciting just because it means it's coming out of the darkness. Summer's coming. Yeah. Much more fun way to
1: cook as well. You've spent uh, many years now over in the UK, but as you mentioned, you've been back in Australia for a few months now. What do you think of the dining landscape in Sydney since you've been back?
0: Oh, I've only been out. I've only been to dinner like once since I've been here. Uh, Like the second day that I got here, I went to Lumi. I worked at Lumi a little bit in between one of my visas. I think between London and Italy, I worked with Federico for a little I love Lumi. I think it's the most incredible restaurant in Sydney. Um, so yeah, we went to Lumi, which was amazing and also just incredible to see, um, the evolution over the last like five, six years. Um, yeah, I love that restaurant. Um, but other than that, I haven't been going out. Um, I've just been laying low. Um, yeah my mum so another part of this is um my mum got diagnosed with breast cancer during this and so she's been having radiation whilst I'm here so I've just been like staying home chilling out with her cooking um so haven't really been dining out much but Sydney's amazing I know Sydney's
1: amazing has that um affected uh, your thoughts about going back to Wanda as well
0: no, she's fine now. <laughs> Sorry, that probably said that probably that probably sounded really harsh. Um, no, 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 she's finished her treatment and it should be all fine. But um, it did impact. It, it did play into why I decided to come back to Australia. So because when because I've been on an appeal since January, you're not allowed to leave the country until your appeal is finalised. Otherwise, you give up your visa. So the moment you leave, it's gone. So that wasn't fun. I couldn't travel. But also if something happens at home, I can't just come home. Um, And then because of COVID, like so many people are in this situation, like in every country, realistically, Um, there's such a backlog. So I still had not gotten an appeal date um, when I left. So it could go on for years, essentially, and you're just stuck there. You have very limited rights to work, to have – I don't think I actually even had access to the NHS. That's a bit of a grey area. But, yeah, there's a lot of things like that. So that's why I decided to come back to Australia, especially, but even more so considering what, what happened with my mom, that I needed to just come home. Yeah, it would take a long time. There would be a risk I wouldn't get the visa, but it was um, not really possible to keep living that way under those circumstances in the UK. And then even just having the business, it's a really hard way. Like I couldn't make any long-term plans or, yeah, hire people. Hiring people was really difficult because, yeah, not knowing what would happen. Um, So, yeah.
1: The last couple of years have um, sort of changed everyone's lives. Has it made you sort of see what you want to get out of your career a little bit differently?
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, I think the first couple of years, like my restaurant and work was everything, which it should be like when you're in your own place, there's no other choice. But, um, I think because with what happened with COVID, like that wasn't my choice. I think, um, losing the restaurant that way kind of, made me be a little bit more at peace with it and um, made me realize – like, before I thought I had to open every single day no matter what. Now, mm, fuck it, I will close. Like, if, if there's something I really, really want to do, I have no issue with closing the restaurant now. Um, yeah, I probably got a little too comfortable with closing in the last year. There were a couple of times in the summer when I was open and, like, I just did not feel – I didn't want to deal with guests. I didn't want to deal with everything. So there were a few times I emailed reservations and cancelled and said, I'm really sorry, something has happened. I can't open today. So I probably got a little too comfortable with doing that. Um, I won't do that in the future. But I plan on, yeah, enjoying my time a lot more than I uh, had in the past. Before it was all just about work, 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 work. Now I'm still like that. But yeah, um, if I was to lose it, I, I can live with it.
1: Well, um, as you mentioned at the top of the show, you do have your visa now and you're heading back over there soon. How's it going to feel when you um, fire the kitchen up again and open the doors to guests?
0: Uh, I am not sure what I'm walking into. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it'll probably take me, I've been thinking about this, I think it'll probably take me a month or two to get open. I'm not going to rush. I want to, I'm actually <laughs> I'm actually flying to the UK via Milwaukee because I'm going to see a Bucks game. Um, I'm taking a very large detour to go see Giannis play, um, which will be very exciting. And then uh, there's a few things like this. Because I thought I would be gone for six months, I like pretty much did closed down everything like i have to get a new reservation system i don't have a phone or email anymore like i canceled all my contracts like i to minimize costs so it will be like a total reopening um i'll need to clean i think it'll be yeah, i think it's hard because i'm getting there in march and then easter is mid-april so i'm trying to work out if i bother if i try to even open prior to easter or i wait also things in the uk are not good right now So, it might be beneficial to wait a little bit to the spring anyway. Uh, Hopefully, things will improve slightly. Uh, It tends to everyone's happiness increases as the sun comes out. But, yeah, I'll figure it out when I get there, home, how long it'll take. I need to find staff, which is not going to be easy. Um yeah so there's a lot of things i need to work out there's no rush like i said like i'd plan to not be back until may so this is all yeah a lot earlier than there's a quite a few, I do want to go visit now that i can travel haven't been able to travel since uh, march 2020 i'm gonna go visit some winemakers in europe in slovakia and austria and stuff so yeah yeah i'll try and uh, figure things out uh, there's no rush essentially but but walking back into the restaurant will be very nice. I've missed it. Um, yeah, a lot.
1: Well, Alexis, it's great to hear that um, you, you're back on track and going to open Wander again. And um, it's been an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Good luck. Keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. No worries. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep.